Hello, everyone, and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm Lori LeVay, the host and founder of Alzheimer's Speaks. Before we get started with our program today, I always like to uh, let our new listeners know a little bit more about Alzheimer's Speaks, who we are, what we do. Um, bottom line, <clears throat> we are an advocacy-based company providing multiple platforms to shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort around the world. And this got started due to the fact that my own mother had dementia for 30 years, and it was just life-changing for me, and the insights that she gave me and the connections that I um, ended up making and the need that I saw out there to raise other people's voices is really why <clears throat> Alzheimer's Speaks started. Um, bottom line, we believe that by joining uh, forces and sharing knowledge and having these everyday conversations about life with dementia, that that's really the only way that we're going to be able to help remove the stigmas attached to memory loss and help people continue to live purpose-filled lives. And, you know, we know that that is working um, because collaboration is so important, and that's one thing. If you are dealing with dementia and if you step into the arena, you will find a lot of collaborative efforts going on out there. And collaboration, I truly believe, is really going to be the only way we're going to win this battle. And I know it's working thanks to each and every one of you. You see, it, it's your little tasks that you're doing, your likes, your clicks, your shares, in terms of sharing the information that we push out. If it's the radio show, if it's our video chats on Dementia Chats or our blog or the resources that we have on Alzheimer Speaks um, main website, um, you got us recognized as the number one influencer online, according to ShareCare and Dr. Oz, and also being recognized by <clears throat> Maria Schreiber as an architect of change for humanity. And that never would have happened without all of you, because we don't have a budget. We are just, we're just kind of talking out here and getting a conversation and raising awareness. And so um, I just, you know, those those recognitions um, go to each and every one of you because each of you have a sphere of influence. If it's your Facebook friends, your Twitter tribe, your Pinterest peeps, your LinkedIn colleagues, it doesn't make any difference. There are people out there in need of information <clears throat> regarding dementia. And the more we can push out, um, the easier it's going to be for them to go ahead and grab that information when the time is right for them, because everybody's timing is a little bit different. And most of us in our sphere of influence have people who haven't said they're dealing with dementia um, because it's not safe <clears throat> for them to do that yet. I have to apologize for the frog in my throat. I'm not quite sure if it jumped in during or after the eclipse yesterday, <laughs> but, it, but it's definitely here. Um, I also want to remind people that we are doing a um, Caribbean cruise this fall, November 11th through the 18th, and we're going to be heading out of Fort Lauderdale, and <clears throat> it's going to be a wonderful time, and it is designed specifically for people with early to mid-memory loss and their care partners. 
Um, we still have some openings, um, so if it's not too late to join us. Um, you can find information on Alzheimer's Speaks. Just go to our main page, and you'll be able to click from there and, and get more in-depth information on programming and pricing. Um, we are going as a group, <clears throat> so you do have to book through Kathy Schof, who is our, our uh, travel agent. Um, during our cruise, we will be doing a symposium where we have um, four people with dementia who will be speaking, uh, Harry Urban, Michael Ellenbogen, Lori Shear, and Mary Reed. And then I also have joining... Uh, myself, Becky Watson, who is a music therapist, and Cindy Lazinski, who heads up a dementia-friendly community in Colorado, who is just absolutely fantastic. Um, <clears throat> last thing that I want to mention is also on our homepage on alzheimerspeaks.com, you can also download some helpful tips when dealing with dementia. So please feel free to go ahead and do that. I'm really excited today for our conversation. We're going to be learning and coping and surviving the dementia journey um, side by side with caregiver and former governor Marty Schreiber. Um, he is really leading a crusade for um, Alzheimer's caregivers um, as he works to improve support systems in the healthcare setting and also in the workplace. As a former governor of the state of Wisconsin, um, Marty, and that's what he likes to be called, so I'm not being disrespectful, just to let you know that, um, has really undertaken the role as caregiver um, in, in a chief way. He, he has traveled and helped caregivers um, hope to, to hopefully not go through what, he, what the challenges have been in his own life. And he has written a beautiful book called My Two Elaines, um, which refers to his wife. And um, so I can't wait to discuss um, his journey and his book and the love he has for his wife. So welcome, Marty. How are you today? Well, Lori, uh, good good afternoon, and uh, I'm very fine, and uh, you're the hero. Uh, you're the one who has just added so much in additional help and support and understanding about uh, this disease. So thank you so very, very much, Lori, for what you have done, are doing, and I know the, the future is just going to be even more impacting for people who, who pay attention to what you say and, 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 and how you guide them. Oh, good. Well, thank you. It's like I said, Alzheimer's Speaks was really created not just to raise my voice, but everyone's voice because all opinions matter. And there's so much great insight that everybody has. And, you know, the 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 easier we make that to share that information, the easier the journey is going to be for for everyone. Um, first of all, I, I want to um, ask you, you know, what drove you to write your story? Um, with you and Elaine, and and then you know, there's one thing to write it, but then to release it to the public, um, you know, that's a that's a really big step. What uh, what push, pushed you in that direction? It it's trying to cope with this disease. It's the feeling of guilt because there are some things that I didn't know soon enough. Uh, there are some things that I, I should have known earlier. Uh, some things I learned too late. And so after I began to understand what was happening, once I knew, for example, you can't argue with Alzheimer's, mm -hmm. uh, once I understood that, uh, you know, it's not a chicken casserole disease where, where people want to come and help you out, 
I, I noticed how other caregivers were interacting with their loved one and, and trying to set them straight, so to speak. Well, no, dear, it didn't happen on Wednesday. It happened for Thursday. And, you know, I know you denied eating all of the donuts, but they're gone. Yes, you did. And, and so I saw that and I said, there's got to be some way or another where we can help caregivers uh, learn, cope, and survive. And so I, I, I really, as I saw, even even friends whose wife had uh, Alzheimer's, as I saw them interact, I said, my goodness, it's, it's that lack of understanding that just causes so much anxiety and, and so much uh, discomfort. And if it in some way can be reduced uh, relative to the way in which a caregiver has to deal with this disease. If, if something like that could happen, I, I, I would want to do that. And uh, it's, it's just trying to help caregivers learn, cope, and survive. Mm-hmm. And, and there is no, <clears throat> no set game plan. I mean, everybody is dealing with different, different sets of symptoms and circumstances. And, and so it's just so wonderful when people like yourself step forward and share their knowledge because then everyone can adapt what they hear and what they learn on how they're going to cope. Um, and I think it takes out um, <clears throat> a little bit of that fear of of failure or being alone, you know, when you're a care partner or when you're diagnosed, you know, you, you get so isolated and um, it's a scary journey when you feel alone. But when you when you feel wrapped with support and resources, um, the journey the journey, in my opinion, changes significantly. What what we have seen, uh, and I have been in communication with other caregivers. If you have, uh, for example, a, a open heart surgery or you have hip operation, people will bring you a chicken casserole. Mm-hmm. If they find out that there is someone in your family uh, or a loved one who has Alzheimer's, they don't know how to handle it, and, and, and they shy away from it. And so what happens is those people who you once were so dependent upon for support and friendship are, are themselves confused. They don't understand the disease enough, and so they begin to shy away, and then that isolation that, that you talked about you know, begins to creep in, and all of a sudden, you you begin to feel alone, and you're you're you're, you're fighting this. And also, what happens is that there is uh, no acknowledgement to the caregiver as to what they are going through, and because of there there being no acknowledgement, the caregiver begins to say, "Well, I'm the only one who gets frustrated. I'm the only one who got upset. I'm the only one that got angry, and therefore I I feel so badly because." I, I'm the only one that feels that way. And so once once it, it, it is recognized, once it is acknowledged that a caregiver is, is a hero and, 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 and fighting to try and do their best to help give comfort to, to the person with, with dementia, once, once, once that occurs, life begins to become so much easier. And one of the things I talk about in the book um, is, is Elaine asked me once how her parents were. Well, I said, well, they're both, you know, they're both dead. Well, the shock on her face and, and, and her uneasiness, realizing she hadn't properly buried her parents or said goodbye, I promised myself I would never let that happen again. And so now when she asks me how her parents are, 
I said, they're fine. I said, your mom always used to like to work at church and, and, and prepare meals. And Oh, yes, she said, I'm so happy. And so when I, I was able to do through therapeutic fibbing, I call that, mm-hmm. what I was able to do, do through therapeutic fibbing is give my wife some comfort, reduce anxiety to a significant degree, and, and, and help join her world. And I guess that's another uh, aspect of the book, My Two Elaines. In order to be a good caregiver for my second Elaine, the one diagnosed with Alzheimer's, I had to let go of the first Elaine. Mm -hmm. And it's so very, very difficult. But once you realize that you can bring so much more comfort and peace to the person by joining their world, by understanding that what is around them is the only world that they know. So don't try and go back to once what was, Mm -hmm. uh, because you can never do that. Alzheimer's is not forgiving in that nature. And so to join their world and to, to try and understand what makes them happy, to try and get a sense of the knowledge that even, even holding hands is sometimes simple enough communication uh, in order to, to calm the person and to give them a feeling of love. Yeah, it's really interesting how it teaches us the value of the simplicity of things in life. Like you said, holding hands. You know, when you, when we think about just the comfort we get by sitting next to somebody and not even saying a word, but just being in someone's presence. And and we've all had that where we just like, oh, you just take a deep breath and, and go, it's going to be okay no matter what we're going through. You just feel safe and you feel comfortable and and there's a there's this uh, subtle joy within you and i think in our fast-paced world we forget about the power of that and the importance of that and um it makes us uh, really look at things differently and uh, to me that was that was a huge life-changing moment when i realized that you know with my mom it just was uh it was like a switch went off going oh I, I can do this. I, I don't have to be busy. I don't have to be doing something necessarily all the time. And I have to focus on what brings her joy, what brings her comfort, what makes her feel safe. Because when she's all those things, then I'm all those things. <laughs> you know? and, and, and I don't think she can be all those things unless you understand that that's the only way she can be. And um, it, that, if if Alzheimer's is bad, ignorance of the disease is worse. Mm-hmm. And as a caregiver, I didn't understand the disease. I didn't know the importance of joining her world. And then I want to go one step further. And and I got to the point where, as the more I understood, I get to the point rather than than worrying about the storm to pass, to try and learn how to dance in the rain. Mm-hmm. And now there is no caregiver that's ever going to dance. But the fact of the matter is, if I can soothe Elaine through holding her hand or through music, Mm -hmm. it's almost like dancing. And rather than fighting, and she tells me she's got, if she has five coats on and she tells me that she's cold, Elaine is cold. Mm -hmm. And arguing or trying to have her understand the thermal dynamics of five coats being too many already, forget about that. You cannot argue with the disease. And so once... um, a person as a caregiver understands that and, and the loved ones around understand that uh, it just simply makes all, all the difference in the world in, in, in my judgment. And, 
and bring so much more peace and comfort and, and even happiness. Yeah, I, I, I think a lot of um, care partners, including myself, you know, would try to rationalize and would try to do things the way they've always been done and thinking that, you know, that routine, that that's what works. But yet it's <clears throat> obvious it's not working. I mean, it, it's obvious to all of us, but we still kind of force that that whole issue and then when we finally go oh maybe we just need a new routine maybe we need another level of acceptance then there's this calmness and and we have the ability to change where they don't and we all know that but yet we don't always institute that when we're when we're engaging somebody and I I I look back and laugh at myself and go how could I be so stupid you know I I know that she can't rationalize this I know that she can't change I know all these things and yet I'm like hitting a brick wall still trying to make her be those things and do those things and and then when I finally just let it go it was just oh my gosh it was so much easier and and so much more fun have, yes um just to share an experience I was um, at a book uh, signing with Barnes and Noble and in in the group there there was a a woman oh about 45 years of age her name was Lisa and she raised her hand. She said, no, she said, I want to share something. She said, uh, my dad has Alzheimer's. And she said, I'm at work. And my mother calls and says, come home quickly. Your dad is acting really strange, really, really odd. Mm-hmm. And so she said, I rushed home. And I walked in and here, sure enough, her dad was in the middle of the living room. And he was acting. He was playing as if he was casting and fishing, you know, mm-hmm. throwing out the lure and rolling it back in and and no fishing rod. He was just doing it. Mm-hmm. And so she said she stood next to her dad, and, and she says, what you doing, Dad? And he, goes, well, she, he says, I'm fishing. You know, what are you fishing for? And he says, well, I'm fishing for a walleye. Well, she says, can I join you? He says, sure. And so Lisa told me that what she started to do was do the same casting and bringing back the, the fishing lure and so forth. And she said that was one of the best interchanges that she can remember having her dad and her in, in the dad's advanced stages of Alzheimer's. So now it's time to leave. Mm-hmm. And her mom says, what do I ever do if this happens again? And Lisa said, mom, get in the boat with him. Mm-hmm. And the point being to just, you, you've, we've got to join their lives because that's the only life that they know. And, and once we can do that, uh, there is a chance to bring uh, some moments of joy into a relationship and, in which we we look down the road is a very sad, sad outcome. Yep. And that's so true. And what a fun, I mean, I love stories like that because when you later on go back and reminisce, you know, it's that fun time of just engaging and, um, you know, at, at such an authentic level, you know, nobody's hiding, nobody's doing anything. It's just, it's just a very intimate moment. And, you know, people can look at it as being silly and all those things. But I remember sharing some of those stories with my own brother, brothers, and they were like, well, where'd you get those stories? And I remember just saying, well, I was, I was there, you know, and they didn't have those mm-hmm. stories because they, they weren't willing to go there because they weren't willing to let go of, you know, the mom who had changed. And yet all of us are constantly changing and and I think those types of moments <clears throat> with casting and fishing, you know, they're they're silly and they're fun, and and some people will call them childish. But I looked at it as such a gift 
to be able to see my mother in a childlike state, so innocent and so authentic. Because, you know, I didn't see that side of her very often, you know, because she was a mom. And and, yes. and that was uh, that was really um, a very unique and beautiful beautiful thing to to be able to share. It it it's so important for loved ones, family and friends, to understand the disease. And I think once they begin to understand it, they don't think it's foolish to, for example, get in the boat with them. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you mention your your your, your siblings. One of the most important things I had to learn, which was very painful, was to let go, to -hmm. let go of the first Elaine and understand that this is a different person and never more can I go back, but also to let go of the feeling that my loved ones have to handle this disease the same way I, as a loving husband, want them to handle this disease. Mm -hmm. And so we have four children and, and, and well, each of them, remembers their mom in a different way men some of them don't want to leave go of their mom and and therefore um handle it in in a different way than those who understand it and once i realized that that i could i cannot demand of anyone to handle this disease the way i want them to handle it i could let go of that frustration and 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 discouragement that comes when when you think somebody should be doing something different than what they are doing. Well, the fact of the matter is when I wrote the book, I was looking at it from my side mm-hmm. of a loving spouse. I didn't sit down and talk to the children and say, Oh gosh, how are you doing through this all? You know what? Tell me, tell me how you're handling this. And, and are you learning? Are you coping? Are you surviving? And so forth. I didn't do that. And I feel very upset with myself about that because I went through not only some experiences with them, which I would like to relive, but I also had this same feeling of frustration that uh, uh, I wouldn't have had ahead if I would realize that everyone has to handle this disease their own way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, can I ask you, you know, how your kids dealt with it? You said, you you know, you, you have several children. Can you give people examples of maybe how differently? Because I think that that is very helpful to people as well. Uh, well, there's a couple of different uh, experiences. We have four children, uh, two boys and two girls. And in the mid-stages, uh, early early stages and mid-stages, uh, they would call very regularly. And uh, what I would do then would be put Elena on the phone and, and they would talk together. And what would happen as the Alzheimer's advanced, Elaine would ask the same questions over and over and over again, as is the way of a person with Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. Well, it got to the point where they, they've concluded or they felt uh, that, that they simply did, did not want to be reminded every time they talked on the phone. They did not want to be reminded of, of their mom's uh, uh, beginning into advanced in advanced Alzheimer's. And so they started, they, they stopped calling as much and that sort of irritated me. Mm-hmm. And, and finally in talking w- with them, I, I began to understand. Um, also Elaine now is at the stage where if they would walk in the room, it would be as if they would be a person off the street. Mm-hmm. Well, I have to understand that if, if, if they come in, to see their mom and their mom doesn't recognize them, 
what is that doing to to building anything as it relates to how they handle this other than maybe taking away a whole uh, series of memories and so now I understand why they may not want to go see this person who thinks that that they are a total stranger mm-hmm. and and understanding that uh, so then uh, one of my children just loves to come and and visit with Elaine and and sing songs and 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 play games even though Elaine has no understanding uh, as to who that person might be because they would feel almost like uh, a loving volunteer caregiver would feel in going into a, a home and, and trying to help help out a complete stranger. So the, the, the process, I think, was very painful. And, you know, there's almost, you know, a, by the grace of God, the Alzheimer's patient gets to the point where they don't really understand, their mind doesn't let them understand what is really going on. Mm-hmm. And and at that point, then, uh, there's so much of a reduction in anxiety and so forth, because, you know, we think about, about advanced Alzheimer's, and we think about, you know, them needing so much personal care in, in so many different ways. And if, if they would be aware of that, they have to be mortified to death. And so as, as this disease moves on uh, in, in the course of a person's life, the loved ones see that and, and, and in that, that process are trying to work out how they handle this. And there is no um, acknowledgement, you know, many times that if, 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 a, if a parent dies, there is acknowledgement from, from friends and neighbors and relatives. Mm-hmm. If, a, if a person has Alzheimer's, there is no acknowledgement that you lost a mom or, or a dad. Uh, and also there is no closure. You know, that, that person who once was is always there, but not the same person. And so people are trying to deal with this in their mind. And even Elaine's two sisters and brother, they're trying to work their way through this too. And uh, I, oh gosh, I wish I would have been more understanding and, and more uh, even forgiving uh, and, and less uh, forceful. Mm-hmm. In, in striking my opinion as to how, how I think they should be handling this disease. So that's, you know, for caregivers and for the loved ones of caregivers to acknowledge the loss and at the same time understand that one of the things that makes it so difficult is that there is no closure. It's a continuing process, and, and that adds on, I think, to, to the challenge of, of emotions of a, of a caregiver. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So it's a, it's a powerful, powerful process on all sides. And um, everyone, like you said, deals with it differently and, and, and has that right um, to process um, however, they, however they need to. But the more we can communicate how each of us is processing, I think the easier the overall process and the individual processes that we're going through um, occurs. Um, in your book, you talk about three ways an Alzheimer's caregiver can care for himself or herself when the person with dementia requires attention day and night. And, you know, and that is um, prime time when people get burnt out. So can you talk to our audience about your three tips? Well, um, <laughs> the first tip is you can't do it alone and you better not try uh, because that is a sure path towards uh, just some uh, very uh, 
when an, an Alzheimer's caregiver has a better chance of becoming ill, has a better chance of dying earlier, has a better chance of having their savings dissipated than caregivers of other other patients. And so to understand that there is this very special kind of emotional um, experience of, of a, of a ne negative nature and to understand how much that emotional uh, experience affects your, your psychic and also affects uh, your, your, your physical health. Mm -hmm. And so point number one, you cannot do it alone. And uh, if, if, if you uh, can understand that and understand the impact of the positive things, for example, of listening to Lori or the Alzheimer's Association. And so uh, th that, that ends up becoming the most important. But then what, what happens is you, is, as the, the life of an Alzheimer's person, patient, becomes smaller, so also must the caregiver understand that their life too is getting smaller because that circle of friends that once was don't understand that this is, you know, not a chicken casserole disease. So they start, you know, uh, going to the sideline. You become more focused on being a loving caregiver. And because of that, you become uh, less involved in other outside activities. And you may, you know, you neglect your own physical activities and therefore your health is going to be further uh, exacerbated uh, simply because one, you've got the psychological impact, but next, next you're not taking care of your, 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 yourself. And that's causing a whole area of complex situations, which in my situation called irrational irritability. And I frankly admit that I became upset and angry with more people than I ever had to. I had to buy boxes of candy and, 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 and bouquets of flowers to ask uh, forgiveness for people who, with whom I lost uh, uh, my, my temper with because this whole thing was closing in on me. So as I would begin to understand I can't do this alone, uh, as I would begin to understand that I've got to take care of myself, as I began to understand that there is some significant emotional impact and, and I need that support only then did life become easier for me. And, you know, it very seriously affected my health. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, we didn't know what was wrong. And then finally, the conclusion is that it may be some health issues, but it was a grieving. It was a depression. It was anxiety. It was anticipatory grief. It was all of those things emotionally that were coming into such significant impact that uh, it was affecting my ability to be a decent caregiver, a decent father, a decent em employer, um, a decent person. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so if we can understand that, uh, you know, I, when you began your, 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 your program, you talked about going from crisis to comfort. Mm -hmm. And I wrote those down because that ends up being very important to try and understand how you can go from crisis to comfort, how you can not worry about the storm to pass, but learn how to dance in the rain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it is true, and and we're so used to you know trying to protect one another, and you know we we kept my mom's disease private for a long time. You know, it was something that we just didn't talk about, and then it got to the point where we had to let people know. But I but I I still found myself um, 
hiding it from their friends. And, you know, they would get together. My dad ended up having brain cancer, my mom with dementia. And I would go over and kind of primp and get them all set up to go out with their friends and make sure that they have enough money. And and the friends would think everything was fine because what they would do is go out and reminisce. And all of that was very much intact, you know, and we didn't have any changes in personalities or anything like that. And so their friends didn't see anything different. But, you know, if I would have let my my mom dress herself, um, you know, or prepare for that outing, you know, they would have seen a whole different Dorothy. And and so there's a fine line between dignity and ego in this whole process and education and not. Well, you mentioned you mentioned the fine line between dignity and ego. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the questions that that I get in our, our, our talkback sessions is why does not my dad or why uh, does not my uncle take care of my wife and, and, and understand that she needs help? Mm-hmm. And first of all, it's the ego aspect, but it's also, you know, the marriage vows and it's also the pride. But sometimes I wonder whether or not some of us men think that what we need to do is to keep our wife or our loved one with us so that we can protect our manliness, mm-hmm. you know, so that we can we can protect our our ego. And if we do give up in our minds mm-hmm. about about taking care of our our spouse, our loved one by by a, adult daycare or or by assisted living or other, if we can have the man, the male, understand they are not giving up any of their manhood by doing it. They're proving that they're even more a man. Mm-hmm. Because they are understanding this disease, which is terrible enough in in, in itself, but even worse if you if you don't understand it. Mm-hmm. And so, um, also in these talkback sessions, the question comes up, as as you described, you know, what do you tell friends? Mm-hmm. And uh, and I'm almost for for sharing with friends as I'm talking dear friends and close friends, but I'm almost for sharing that information as 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 you can in a very gentle, easily, easy manner, because the caregiver needs that support and that acknowledgement. I too did not share. And I, what happened was Elaine, we would go out with friends and Elaine would fight so hard successfully to be normal mm-hmm. that after we were done meeting with our friends, they would call me up the next day. And, oh, Elaine is wonderful. You know, she, what kind of problem does she have? Well, they, I didn't tell them what went on the other 23 hours of the day. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, then I didn't get the acknowledgement, but also not to offer for support because mm-hmm. I was afraid to ask for it because I didn't want to share it with them. And so I think that whole whole thing has to be looked at quite closely yeah. uh, by caregivers to find out how soon uh, they really think it's important for their loved ones to know what's going on. Well, and, and I know in, in my family, um, I mean, we had family, friends of years and years. I mean, we're in my folks' wedding and everything who just pulled away, you know. And even if we told them, they they didn't believe it because mom could show up for short periods of time for those events and and appear like everything was fine. But again, the conversations and the tasks were totally different. They were you know, sitting down, eating a meal or having a cocktail and reminiscing, you know, but they weren't playing cards with her, 
you know, like doing mm-hmm. bridge like they used to. They would have seen it very quickly if they would have tried something like that. Um, they weren't, you know, seeing her drive um, because she couldn't anymore. Or even maneuvering to a rest a restroom, you know, my dad would kind of assist her with that. And people just thought he was being polite, you know. And and yet it it wasn't out of politeness. It was out of she'll never find it <laughs> if he doesn't go with her. So yeah, it's it's very interesting. And people want to perceive what they want because I I still think there's a lot of people that it, as sad as it sounds think could they catch it because they don't know enough about it. Um, and then there's that whole denial thing. Well, if if they have it, what does it mean that I'm floundering for some of my words or I'm misplacing things? And they go in and, and start analyzing themselves and are they next? And they don't want to have that conversation. They don't want to look that deep. And so it's easier to push away many times. And then I, I get back to what we had discussed earlier, and that is if Alzheimer's is bad, ignorance of the disease is worse. Mm-hmm. And so in the, you know, in the book, we talk about all of the different things that can cause a, an, an understanding or a thought process that Alzheimer's might be present when it could be a mix up in drugs. It could be depression. It, it could be any number of different things that uh, is not, you know, in, an Alzheimer's situation. And, uh, and also for people to understand the information that is now being kicked about, and that is the, the best way of getting Alzheimer's is to live to a, a ripe old age because, it, it, you know, there's, there's nothing other than maybe improving your living habits and so forth, but it's not necessarily genetic except some very, very rare, rare forms of it. But, um, you know, if, if, gosh, it's a, it's a terrible disease. I know that friends and relatives and neighbors are struggling with how to handle it mm-hmm. and caregivers are struggling with how to handle it. And uh, so we just got to look at how best we can, we can do everything. Yep. Working together. Uh, one of the things I, I want to ask you is, you know, a lot of people think that um, having Alzheimer's or dementia is a death sentence. How do you, how do you respond to somebody who, who comes up and makes that comment to you? Um. Well, first of all, um, if, if if any, I I, I met a friend, um, and uh, with his wife, this was at the assisted living facility where Elaine is living, and he said my wife was just diagnosed with with early stages. I said, my goodness, I said I I don't know what to say other than it's fortunate that you are now aware of it. It's fortunate that you can begin to make your bucket list. It's fortunate that you can, you know, work and discuss uh, and, and, and how best, you know, both of you want to feel uh, comfortable in, in, in how you move forward. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's the, the one point to understand that to get the early diagnosis is probably a, a great opportunity to, to look at those things in life that you really want to accomplish and now begin to focus on that you ordinarily wouldn't. Now, that's a that's a crummy return on an on awful uh, prognosis, but at least that's something. But then I go to I, I, I go to the, uh, the the next step and and that is to begin together to learn about the disease. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you can learn about the disease and know that you can still have these moments of joy, that there is a second person who still is 
is uh, is is caring and loving and understanding um that that then is uh is is the next important step and then i get the question well if if my wife doesn't remember that i went to see her does it pay to see her well mm-hmm. you know have you ever gone to a concert that was really a great concert and then forgot about the concert mm-hmm. you know you still had those moments of joy while you were at the concert you know have you ever gone to a wonderful a play and seen a play and then forgot about it. That does mean you shouldn't have gone to see the play. And so, yes, it's a terrible disease. It's a terrible prognosis. But the fact of the matter is I get back to, again, rather than worrying about the storm to pass, to try and learn how to dance in the rain. Yes, it's terrible. Yes, the prognosis is not good. But by the same token, what kinds of things are there that we can do so that we can both learn, that we can both cope and survive and maybe even thrive through this process. Now, Pollyannish, yes, and weeping and sadness and, 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 and all of us have gone through it. Um, and, and, and I understand that it's easier for me to say this than it is to do it. And, but by the same token, what are our options other than to look at the best way uh, that we can help our loved one have moments of joy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and those moments of joy are are so incredibly important and you don't you don't even realize it I think in the day-to-day life until all of a sudden something's taking it away from you. You know, we really take so much for granted. And 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 yet as dementia progresses, those moments of joy really um take different forms too that are quite profound. Well, with, you know, if we talk about moments of joy, Elaine now, Elaine and I now can sit and look at a tree with the leaves blowing in the wind and take as much joy out of that mm-hmm. as if we would be looking at the Swiss Alps. And uh, we can take as much joy looking at a flower or, or, or at a butterfly. And, and to be able to focus on those more simple things in life understand that they become more important things of life and what a, what a difference that makes. And then also to understand, you know, I told you how Elaine doesn't recognize the the family, uh, uh, children, grandchildren, me. Mm -hmm. And so the other day we're having lunch and she's beginning beginning to cry. She's why I ask her, why are you crying? Well, she says, I'm crying because I'm beginning to love you more than my husband. Well, I didn't ask her what was wrong with her turkey husband, um, <laughs> but the fact of the matter is our hearts were touching. Mm-hmm. And what could be more important, what could be better than to have our hearts touching, knowing that she doesn't understand what is going on. And that moment of joy that I could bring with our hearts, hearts touching made all the difference in the world to me. Mm-hmm. What a wonderful day that was. And uh, so then... Uh, sometimes she comes up with some sparkling things. She, many times she says, do I love her? I says, yes. Will you keep me? I say, yes. How long will you keep me? Well, I <laughs> wanted to make sure that I drove home the point. So I said, Elaine, I will love you forever and ever and a billion years. And well, she began to look sad. I says, Elaine, why are you sad? She says, I don't think I could take you that long. <laughs> and so whether or not it was, was a humor or whether or not it was something in response, I don't know. But But the fact of the matter is, you know, yes, the person has Alzheimer's. Yes, they may not remember who you are, but the fact of the matter is you can still grab those moments of joy and have your hearts touching, your hands touching, and, and um, 
Tara Reid wrote a wonderful poem about the fact that I may not uh, recognize your face, I may not know your voice, uh, but please know that my heart is always with you, uh, even though I, I may not know your name. And um, it just is, uh, well, again, you know, rather than worrying about the storm to pass, to try and learn how to dance in the rain is, is something that's very easy to be said, but I think something that we've got to work on in order to help us learn, cope, and survive this journey. Mm-hmm. I, I totally, totally agree with you. Um, I, I also, uh, before, I can't believe our time is just flying by here, I, I want to talk a little bit about gender st- uh, statistics for Alzheimer's because I know that you're just such an advocate, you know, on this uh, this whole mission. What are your thoughts regarding the you know, the statistics between genders and uh, what we're doing to try to make a difference in that in that area. Well, uh, the fact of the matter is, as far as gender is concerned, we men don't like to ask for directions. <laughs> we're prideful. We're arrogant. You know, we may have uh, been the champion uh, football team. We may have uh, won uh, many medals in, in armed services. But the fact of the matter is we're not smart enough to be able to know how to handle this disease many times for a loving spouse. Earlier, we did talk about the great ego and and the great self-identification that men do not want to give up uh, because of of, uh, admitting that maybe, you know, there is a better place for their spouse to be. And uh, the statistics, I, I don't have them right at my fingertips, but the statistics on the number of, of, of women that have, Alzheimer's compared to men is is just astounding. Mm -hmm. And so we men better become smarter in how we handle and deal with this disease because there's going to be a lot of us, there are a lot of us affected. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know Maria Shriver is big on, you know, trying to figure out this whole gender thing and and pushing research uh, towards, you know, why do women seem to be getting it more than others? And um, you know, and then we have disparities too with with different cultures and ethnic um, in different um, ethnic backgrounds in terms of reaching people and um, making sure that that they're aware of what is going on. You know, with this disease and what support is is out there. Um, can I ask you, in terms of you know, uh, in terms of Congress and stuff, um, since you're former governor? How serious do you think our, our, our congressmen and women are, are looking at this now? Well, one would pray always a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, we did receive a significant increase in funding. But here, listen to this. Um, according to some experts, that we can expect the cure for this disease in 2025. Now, can we imagine everyone how many more people are going to be affected by Alzheimer's as our population ages? Mm-hmm. They say that Alzheimer's is the most uh, uh, costly disease because of the need for 24 hours, many times nursing care and, and assistance. Alzheimer's, as we know, prob- is, is the only, there's 10, of the top 10 killers, Alzheimer's is number six. And it's the only disease that cannot be prevented, cured, or delayed. Mm-hmm. And so it would seem to me that they would begin to, taking a look at what's going to happen to Medicare and Medicaid because of all the additional Alzheimer's patients that are going to be coming along. Understand that Alzheimer's also causes havoc 
with the life of the person of a caregiver. And it would seem to me that they would be doing everything they could to rush uh, with more energy and, 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 and passion into doing things to try and find uh, an answer to this disease. So uh, Senator Baldwin from Wisconsin is working hard to try and uh, get additional assistance financially for caregivers and more awareness of what's happening with caregivers. Uh, but somehow or another, we've got to expand um, the, the funding for that. But there's another important point, and that is clinical trials are, uh, there is a lack of sufficient people in some areas of some disciplines uh, for uh, for that clinical testing. So anyone who might be listening to your, 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 your program might understand that they should look at signing up uh, for some kind of a clinical study and they can go to alzheimer's.org and find the different uh, availability of studies that uh, could really make a significant impact in giving them more background and resource information. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there there are a lot more research opportunities out there, and um, I know Us Against Alzheimer's is really doing a, a great job in terms of getting that information out. And you can um, you can find information on our blog regarding the A list um, and and getting um, getting into some some research and uh, and things. So yeah, that would be wonderful for people to do. Well, I would really encourage people to get your book. Um, Again, it's um, titled My Two Elaines, which I just think is a a wonderful, wonderful um, title to your book. I do want to read one um, piece here because I think it's something that that everybody struggles with. And of course, now I just lost it in the book here. Um, but it was a reference where um, your wife, it was a piece of her journal here. And it talks about um, how uncomfortable she was with, with, uh, with you in terms of kind of controlling her life and not letting her go for walks and not letting her drive and her thinking that, you know, she is totally capable of doing those things. And I apologize, I can't find it in here right now. Um, But can you talk about that? Because that is something I think so many people deal with and you're trying so hard and then you find something like that and it's got to just rip your heart out. And um, how do you deal with stuff like that? Well, what I what I want to go back uh, to is when we as parents took our first child to kindergarten class when they were four years old, and they didn't want to go, and they didn't want to go, and we didn't want to let go of them either because I mean, my gosh, this is a great you know Im- impact on both people's lives. But we knew in our hearts that it was so important uh, for them to have that. And so if if the person with dementia is saying, I don't want to do this or I don't want to do that, well, the fact of the matter is I'm sorry, you know. And, and so redirection is important. Therapeutic fibbing is important. Not arguing is important. And so applying those techniques, you then get to the point where, where you realize that that's the best thing to do. So I didn't want to, quote, unquote, put Elaine into assisted living. Mm-hmm. And, oh, I fought with that. And so I'm meeting with my counselor, and I said, you know, I can't see. And she says, you are not putting Elaine anyplace. 
you are giving her an opportunity to be who she is now. And one of the most saddest days of my life was when I left our condo with Elaine and, and, and we walked out the door and I had to take her to assisted living, knowing that she would never return again. Oh my gosh. I, I, but I have to tell you, uh, I was giving her an opportunity to be who she is now. Mm-hmm. I was giving myself an opportunity to once again, become a father and a grandfather and a great grandfather. Um, this, this was from her journal of, of 2009. And, uh, she talks about not enjoying her role anymore as my wife because I have concerns that I don't let her be who she is. And that shows, you know, that there are good days and bad days in, in the life of a person with Alzheimer's as well. But there is an, another uh, really wonderful um, uh, quote where she said that she understands uh, that she has Alzheimer's, but what she has to understand that it's another day and uh, to to give thanks and to smile 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 and um, i take comfort in knowing that here i want to just get to this this is from 2012 and i think the other quote was from 2009 where she was complaining about me having too much control just quickly life is good and i plan to have it continue that way until my children told me it's time for a nursing home or something like that This is realistic with what my Alzheimer's book says about my future. But till then, I will try my best to be normal, whatever that means, and keep my happy side of life always continuing. I'm lucky to have such a good family and many friends to help me get through all of this. And so another great day to thank the Lord and smile, smile, smile. And so there were some moments of joy uh, then, and we still have moments of joy uh, and but I want to acknowledge to every single one of of, of your listeners uh, that I understand, recognize, and acknowledge the pain and 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 and, and the anxiety, uh, the despair, uh, all of that. Uh, and all I can say is God love you. And let's try and figure out how to dance in the rain uh, rather than worrying about the storm to pass. Very true. Well, thank you, Marty, so much for being with us. And um, people can get a hold of Marty. Um, they can go to www.my2alanes, and that's two spelled out, T-W-O, um, my2alanes.com. Or you can find uh, my 2 Elaine's on Twitter and also on Facebook. Again, thank you so much for all you have done and are doing for um, for the world of dementia and uh, leading by example in terms of how you care for your wife. Really appreciate you sharing your story today, Marty. Lori, I admire and am grateful for everything that you're doing. You're helping so many people. Thank you very, very much. Thank you. Um, before I end the show, I'm just going to do a few highlights. Again, I want to remind people of our dementia-friendly cruise and symposium, November 11th through the 18th. You can go to alzheimerspeaks.com to find out more information on that. Um, also want to let people know all of our shows here are archived, and we've been doing this for six years. So we talk to people all over the world, from people who are diagnosed with dementia, uh, family and friends who are dealing with it, to businesses uh, that have um, developed services uh, to improve care, 
uh, to grassroots efforts that are out there. Harvard Research has been on the show. You name it, we're open to it. Um, movie directors, singers, songwriters, authors. Um, so if you think you uh, would like to share your story about dementia, please give me a jingle. I would be more than glad to talk to you about that. Um, in wrapping up, I want to give a shout out to the Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation in um, Arizona. If you're looking for some holistic modes, uh, check them out. Or the Caregiver um, Alert Center. Um, they are in case someone might be wandering. It's a very inexpensive way um, to help protect your loved one. Um, it's under $15 a year. Um, and if that person were to wander, they will coordinate with the police and via social media and blast out a flyer to help uh, try to find your your loved one. Uh, last, I want to just mention on the blog, there is a wonderful survey that um, a gal from the University of Minnesota has put together, and it's all about um, quality in aging services, and they want to get your input, and now's the time to do that when everyone's looking at reform of our healthcare system. So please, uh, please take some time to get involved and make a difference. Until next time, have a beautiful week. Thanks, everyone. Bye now. Hi, I'm Lori LeBay, and I wanted to tell you about Alzheimer's Speaks, which is another great podcast. You see, my own mother lived with dementia for 30 years, and I felt lost. Did you know every three seconds someone in the world is being diagnosed with dementia? Odds are it's going to hit your families too. We want to help you connect to services, products, tools, research, and stories so you can be prepared. Please subscribe to Alzheimer's Speaks on your favorite podcast platform.